I greet you in the high and holy name of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. The outline of my message for the morning is on the back of your bulletin with some blanks to be filled in, and the slides that you will see later will provide the missing words. Before this service, earlier this morning, I was out in the hallway, and one of you approached me and said, Brother Bill, I want you to know that last Sunday, the Lord spoke to me in the course of the worship service and so inspired me that on Monday, I went out, all out and paid the balance of my car loan. And he said, for the first time in 55 years, I don't have a car loan anymore, and it feels mighty good. I share that with you to remind you that the Holy Spirit is a powerful teacher and motivator in the middle of our worship services. Let us bow and pray together. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. A small country church had a tough decision to be made. They were worshiping in a small facility that was quite old, needed a lot of repair. So they needed to decide, should we renovate the current facility or build a new one? So they held a business meeting, congregational meeting after the worship service. And uh, lots of folks uh, spoke. But, but everybody knew that the final decision would be heavily influenced by the only wealthy person in the congregation. And sooner or later, here he got up to speak. And he said, I have listened to all the discussion, and I believe it would be wiser for us to renovate the present facility, and I pledge $5,000. Then he sat down. Now, he, he was a large gentleman, and when he hit the pew, it rattled the structure and a piece of plaster fell out of the ceiling and hit him right on top of the head. He jumped back up and said, I raised that pledge to $7,000. Somebody down front said, hit him again, Lord, hit him again. <laughs> now that's one way to raise money for the church, but that is not a biblically approved way. I have heard of other non-biblical strategies for raising money for the church. There was a Presbyterian official who was one day in the airport in Denver, and two men from a local church approached him and said, we would like to buy crash insurance for you and list our church as the beneficiary. Now, that's spooky. You know, that, that's spooky. The Presbyterian official turned them down. He said, I didn't want to put the Lord in the difficult position of deciding whether me or that local church should be preferred. <laughs> the Bible does not endorse any kind of gimmicks like that for underwriting ministry. There's only one approved biblical method for underwriting ministry, and it consists of a wonderful word that begins with the letter T. It's called tithing. 
And regardless of what you may have heard, that's not a Baptist word. That's a biblical word. To tithe means that out of gratitude, I give the first 10% of what I'm allowed by God to earn as a way of saying thank you. And it forces me to flex my faith muscles, of course, because I have to believe that with God's help, 90% of my income will suffice for my family's needs with God's help. Tithing declares a priority in my life that God comes first, that he has first claim on my income. Even before I pay S-C-E-N-G, God Almighty has first claim. Tithing is an act of obedience because the Bible clearly commands it. The Bible does not say that the primary purpose of tithing is to raise money for the church. No. The primary beneficiary of tithing is the tither because there is no way we can grow as disciples of Jesus Christ if we are not growing in our giving, giving systematically, joyously, gratefully, and sacrificially. Tithing keeps us on track as growing disciples of Jesus Christ. The hearts of most Americans are directly linked to their wallets and pocketbooks. When Jesus Christ gets control of our hearts, our wallets and pocketbooks follow as meekly as lambs behind the shepherd. Now, in order to appreciate our Old Testament scripture lesson of the morning, I need to set the scene for you. The nation of Israel is reorganizing after horrible years in exile in what is now Iran. Several hundred years, they've been suffering as exiles, but then God allows them to come back home to Jerusalem and to Israel. Now, at that time, the nation, the pitiful little nation, consisted of little more than the city of Jerusalem and a few miles in every direction. The land was rocky and unproductive. Droughts were common. The general spiritual condition of the people was awful. The priests were lazy. Divorce was easy and casual. The morality was in decline. And into that dismal setting came a fiery prophet named Malachi. He had great spiritual force because the Holy Spirit resided within him. And his style was not to stand in the temple or speak from a lectern. He went out into the marketplace and engaged the people in dialogue. And out there in the marketplace, the people said to him, why has God allowed us to fall on such hard times? And Malachi replied, because you have not reverenced God and kept his commandments. And by the way, there's nothing ancient about that dialogue. Can't you imagine it? Or wouldn't it be wonderful if it happens today in Washington, D.C. and in Columbia, South Carolina, where the people say, why has God allowed us to fall on such hard times? And the prophet of the Lord could say, because you have not reverenced God and kept his commandments. Malachi then asked a hard question and issued a wonderful promise. And that question and that promise are the focal points of my message today. First, the question. In Malachi 3 verse 8, Malachi asked, will a man rob God? And that question was meant to shock the people. 
It was meant to elicit the response from the people of, of course not. Nobody would rob God. That's ridiculous. But Malachi responded, that's what all of you have been doing because you have been keeping and spending that first 10% of your income that belongs to God. According to the Bible, the first 10% of our monthly paychecks is not ours at all. It's God's. He allows it to pass through our hands so that we will know the joy of giving and have the privilege of designating it for some particular part of his kingdom enterprises. But if we keep part of that 10%, there's a name for it. It's called stealing. When my late father was a pastor, he had an elderly widow in his congregation who lived on very meager income but very generous to the church. And one day my father was visiting her and he said, Ma'am, if I may speak frankly with you, I know you are living on such a limited income and yet you're so liberal in your giving to the church. I just want you to know that if you need to back off that giving somewhat, reduce it in order to help your standard of living, we in the church would understand and even support you. That dear lady fixed my father with a, with a disapproving look. And she said, when I consider all that God has done for me, the least I can do is return his tithe to him. I wish I could do more, but I'm certainly not going to take part of what belongs to him. Now, pastor, she said, I have a check prepared to send to the church, but if you don't want to take it for me, I'll find somebody else to deliver it. Later, when Papa was talking with me, he said, right there that day, I made a promise to God Almighty. Never again will I try to persuade anybody to take part of God's tithe and use it on themselves. Will a man rob God? That was Malachi's troubling question in verse 8. As we look back across the years, have we stolen from God Almighty? Then in verse 10, Malachi relays to us from God wonderful promise. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing, Notice the first part of that promise is a command. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The word storehouse there refers to the temple treasury. In our modern context, the storehouse refers to the local church, but could certainly include other kingdom building charities. Here is the only place in the Bible where we are invited to test God. Everywhere else in the Bible, we're told, don't test God. It is strictly forbidden. And when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Satan put him through some tough tests. And Jesus responded to him by quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But here in Malachi 3, verse 10, God invites us to test him in our finances. And frankly, 
I don't know of any other realm of our lives where you can see God's grace more clearly and more regularly than in our monthly finances. If you tithe for the right reasons, God will bless you materially and spiritually. If you tithe for the wrong reasons, it will not do you a bit of good. If you tithe in hopes that God will cause your stocks to soar, forget it, it will not work. If you tithe in hopes of buying a ticket to heaven, forget it, they're not for sale. Those tickets to heaven were purchased by God Almighty through his son when he died on that cross for us and was raised from the grave. Jesus paid for those passports of ours to heaven. The only thing we have to do to receive them is just repent of our sin and receive them by faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you tithe for the right reasons, God will bless you materially and spiritually. What are the right reasons? Gratitude and obedience. Gratitude and obedience. If you're grateful for what God has done in your life, is doing and will do, and if you yearn to be obedient to his clear commands in Scripture, God will bless you materially and spiritually. And Jesus affirmed this so clearly in our Scripture from Luke for the morning. Give and it will be given to you, he said. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Two weeks ago, I preached over in the auditorium, and after the service, a couple came up to me and said, uh, Brother Bill, we want to share with you a very special experience in our lives. The wife said, years ago when we were newly married, my husband was in medical school. We were attending a church near the medical school. The pastor on a particular Sunday preached on stewardship and tithing. And after the service, we managed to speak with him privately and we said, Pastor, we believe everything you said today, but our situation is somewhat different. Husband's in medical school. We have no income. We're living entirely off educational loans. We have no income. But would it be okay if we tithed our time and talent instead? Pastor said, that would be wonderful. We would appreciate that so much. The following Sunday, after worship, this couple was leaving. And the pastor got their attention and pulled them off to the side. And he said, I've been thinking about you folks. And our church has provided for me a pastor's discretionary fund. And uh, whenever I see any of our people who are going through a tight time financially, I have the means of helping out. And so, uh, I have a gift to you, for you, from the church. And he handed an envelope to them. And the husband opened the envelope and saw a check and grinned from ear to ear. That husband was in medical school, and he was the only one in his class who did not have a microscope. He could not afford one. That check was for the precise amount that a microscope would cost. That pastor had no way of knowing that he needed a microscope or what a microscope would cost. 
And the wife said to me, we saw God all over that transaction. That was a God thing. And we've been tithing ever since because we know God is involved in our finances and will take care of our needs. When my wife and I were getting ready to get married almost 50 years ago, an older and wiser man approached us and said, I'm going to give you some advice, and if you follow it, you will never have a financial disaster. I said, I would appreciate it. My annual salary was $5,500. He said, out of every paycheck you ever get, take the first 10% and give it to God, and he will become a financial partner with you, and he can make 90% go a lot farther than you can make 100% go. He said, then take the next 10% and save it. And then spend the remaining 80% with joy and thanksgiving. And by the grace of God, we've done that for almost 50 years. Yes, there have been some months when there's a week to go in the month and there's a dollar and 95 cents in the checking account. And what do you do then? You just get creative about what's in the refrigerator. Yes. And yes, there have been unbudgeted expenses that we could not calculate in advance a car that we felt sure would last another year just would not agree to last another year. And to fix it made no sense. It would cost too much, so it had to be traded. Or an appliance just dies on us. Or the son from college calls and says, Dad and Mom, uh, I've got this great opportunity for the summer, but I've got to come up with $500 right away. Folks, Times like that, mysteriously and marvelously, money has almost dropped out of midair on us. And at first I was surprised, shocked. I'm not anymore because God is our invisible financial partner. And he's way smarter. He sees the future. He's awesome in power. I'm not surprised anymore, but I sure am grateful. In my 50 years of ministry, in the various churches I've served, oh, we've been privileged to have a lot of very committed and generous uh, people. I remember 15 years ago in Memphis when I became aware that some of the affluent people in my church were giving to our church over $100,000 a year. But they were not the biggest givers I've had. The biggest givers I've had, and I've had them in every church, were usually retired school teachers or people in similar conditions who were living on a small pension and a social security check, but they were giving God Almighty 10% off the top. And their tithe compared to mine made mine look puny. Now, I know there's some persons in this congregation who have never tried tithing, and the very thought of giving 10% off the top gives you heart palpitations. Well, since God invites us to put him to the test, I'm going to invite you to put God to the test. I haven't checked this out with Pastor Jeff, but I'm convinced it's in line with the spirit of the Scripture. Here's my challenge. If you've never tried tithing before, 
give 1% of your income next month. And then the next month, go to 2%. And the next month, 3%. And the next month, 4%. Until you get up to 10%. And if at any point along the way, you do not feel that God's blessings are worth more than the money you're missing, stop it. Stop it. That's my challenge. I don't think you'll stop it. And indeed, I think after you've been at the 10% level for a while, the blessings will be so obvious that you will say, you know, I'm not satisfied to be at the minimal level anymore. I want to get above that. And then you can repay God for some of his money that you've used in previous years. Now, today is Commitment Sunday. In a few moments, while we sing the hymn, you'll be invited to slip down front, place your pledge card on the altar as an act of commitment. However, if God is nudging you this morning to change what's on your commitment card. It'll be perfectly all right for you to take it back home, pray over it and change it this evening, and mail it in tomorrow or bring it next Sunday. I dare you to put God to the test. Remember, what a person believes in fully and loves devotedly, he or she will give to sacrificially. In a few moments as we sing, you'll be invited to come forward and place those cards on the altar. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.